Good evening. You are listening to the Year Now podcast, the official podcast of the New Zealand Skeptics. And uh, I am Craig, and joining me this evening, I have Roman. Yara. And Mark. Hey, um, is it a bit presumptuous to say evening? Surely for most of the people listening, it's not evening. Well, that's presumptuous, isn't it, today? to think about what time people might be listening to this. But I've always been a a uh, time realist, so I like to <laughs> <laughs> give the greeting that's appropriate for the time of uh, the day that we are recording this. All and right. It is all evening right. here. Yeah. All right. I'll, I'll let is you it still Is it evening in Wellington? Uh, <laughs> it I hope so. <laughs> hope so. Hope yeah. so. The, the time Wait, but- difference between here and Auckland isn't that much. But we do yeah, know a couple of listeners years. who do. We do know a couple of listeners who do listen to the podcast on their morning commutes, right? So okay. it's a good morning to them. Yeah. I presume most people are commutes and things like that. So most people are during the day. How uncomfortable are you making them feel saying good evening to them? They're like, but it's not my <laughs> evening. You, you're going to really confuse the poor people. It's a psyop. <laughs> but we destabilize them and then we start feeding them ideas about joining the skeptics and giving us donations and coming to our conference and that kind of thing coming to our conference in dunedin in november yeah 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 very that good. exactly yeah. okay <laughs> yes very good well i i so i was at skeptics and pub tonight and uh we got a turnout i think of nine or ten people that's great and three Three of those people said they were coming to the conference who I didn't realize were coming to the conference. So that's good. As am I, as uh, as is Robin, and I think Arez as well. So it might have been six of the ten people at Skeptics in the Pub coming to the conference. So that would be good. Great. Wow, so how a... much did you how much did you bribe them? No, not at all. <laughs> that's a real not pilgrimage from Auckland, the top of the North Island down to the bottom of the South Island. It's a long way. Hmm. Mm. Those who live in Wellington have got no excuse. Well, we're already like planning a caravan. You're halfway there. <laughs> yeah, we're we're road tripping it. Okay, now I am completely unprepared tonight, but apparently um, you've got some questions to ask, Mark. <laughs> I have questions that have been asked not not just for you, but to all three of us. Um, and this is a this is a really interesting one. So I'm I'm on the councils for two separate humanist organizations not that i feel that we need two humanist organizations in new zealand but we have to we are blessed with an abundance we have the new zealand humanists or humanist nz and we have the new zealand association of rationalists and humanists who are often shortened to just the rationalists or the rats um and i help out with both of those charities and they both do really good work and both of them over the last few months have been emailed by a young man in christchurch called nick blackie and nick has a new podcast he started and this podcast is to further some of the work that he does turns out on behalf of his father. His father is a pastor in Christchurch, runs a church called Beckenham Baptist Church, from what I can tell. And the so, son- hang on, hang on. Are, are yep. we doing a are we doing a response podcast? You know, like back in the day with YouTube, when oh. people used to do response videos. Yeah, what, what we're going to do is in a minute, we're just going to play the entirety of Nick's podcast. But because we speak <laughs> over it occasionally, we get away with it and we don't have to generate our own content. 
um but anyway so yeah so so nick the son is being a very well-behaved son and following in his father's footsteps he's part of the church's street evangelism group and he does a lot of street evangelism and there's a guy who he models himself off a guy who i saw an interview that i put in my newsletter where he he talks about how one of his great influences who he's watched many videos of and has learned a debating style for the street from ray comfort is his hero his i thought i thought jesus was meant to be his hero no jesus i think is by default but it's boring if you're a christian you say jesus my hero everybody's saying that you got to pick someone else (laughs) mustachioed ray comfort is who (laughs) nick black goes and and he's it's weird i don't know whether it's just maybe this is something of a christchurch accent or whether he has really watched so many of um ray comfort's videos that he really comes across like ray comfort like his intonation and just the way he speaks all of it comes across and then he's using ray comfort's arguments as well he uses some of the worst of ray comfort's arguments and i'm guessing are we, he are we sure that ray comfort hasn't died and become reincarnated as this guy? <laughs> no no i think i think all of you know evangelical christendom would go into mass mourning if ray comfort died yeah, that we, man we would know. has yeah. such a reach from <laughs> the independent you know from bill gothard all sorts you know we'd oh, know yeah. we'd know <laughs> Even the atheist community would be R.I.P. Banana Man. We, we would be mourning here in New Zealand and will be when, sadly, Ray Comfort dies because he is such a character. Um, plus, he would have had to have died 20 years ago to have been reincarnated <laughs> as Nick Blackie. So it's a real conspiracy so my, if he died that long ago. He could have been possessed. No, no, no. You know, Ray Comfort could have died and possessed Nick Blackie. Oh, being possessed by a demon. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so so the humanist um societies that i i work for i i donate my time to both of them have been emailed by nick because um in order to push his evangelism further than just the streets in Christchurch, he started a podcast called The Garrison. And I think it's, you know, the garrison of protecting Christianity from encroaching atheism. Um, And he would like to debate on what he thinks is his gotcha atheist, his argument. He's got one argument that he thinks is the most solid slam dunk of all Christian apologist arguments. And it's the argument that there are absolute morals. And to have absolute morals, you need a moral lawgiver and the only moral lawgiver that fits the morals that we see is the christian god this is such a an illogical logical chain of argument it's painful to listen to but when we first got the request first thing i did was look him up look up the podcast and start listening uh it was painful like there, there are some Christians whose apologetics is good enough. Their way of arguing for Christianity is nuanced enough that you can respect them. You can still poke holes. You can still see issues, but they don't use any and all arguments they've ever heard. They pick the ones that are a little bit more solid. Nick Blackie is not one of these people. Nick Blackie doesn't care how bad an argument is. He doesn't care how much it's been refuted. He's going to use it. Anything for him is ammunition, no matter how cheesy, how illogical this is all fair game for him and this is what his podcasts are he'll pick a topic and he will just run with it for 20 minutes and things just fall out of his mouth and it's it's been a painful commute on the days that i've been listening to nick i've managed to not 
shout in the car, but I've been tempted to shout at him from the safety of my driver's seat just through sheer frustration. Um, and it's been it's been some interesting topics. He's been dinosaurs. Well, what about dinosaurs? He talked about with <laughs> one about of his that? guests. Given that the Earth is only six thousand years old, how do we put dinosaurs within this framework? Does he have um, to ask how magnets work? <laughs> he hasn't got there yet, but maybe I should uh, email in and request a new podcast episode. Oh, I um, dare! I dare. Well, well, what's Ray Comfort's answer for dinosaurs then? Is it? Well, I don't know whether this alignment is... with Ray Ham, uh, Ken Ham, wouldn't he? In the... Yeah, possibly. I I don't know whether this is Ray Comfort's. I've not really listened to any Ray Comfort creationist stuff. More his street evangelism. How do you convert people? Stuff. But Nick, the Nick Blackie's guest argued that the dinosaurs on the Ark were only young they were baby dinosaurs and so they didn't need to have a very big arc to carry the largest dinosaurs because they were just babies and it's a mystery why they all died out so quickly after they got off the ark mm -hmm. how did they not survive the last few thousand years where lots of very vulnerable creatures did christians are still so. working on that highly scientific question um so yes another podcast episode talked about demons well it was trying to talk about something else but they veered onto the fact that the guest was a demonologist um and he knows all about demons and he knows the different personalities of demons that are possessing auckland he said they have a particular type but then christchurch has its own separate type of demon possession um and the demons that are in and around christchurch have like a different flavor they're a different type of demon that are doing different things maybe making people racist down there or something i don't know but like all of this is just like this isn't even the sensible end of christianity this is this is the totally weird end of christianity it must be hard to be on the street trying to argue this with people trying to convert them when your ideas go as far as trying to tell people that masturbation is evil um you know and that's just such an awful idea so so damaging to children telling them that they shouldn't even masturbate it's like it's just ridiculous absolutely ridiculous stuff but anyway so uh, for both organizations i've recommended that we really shouldn't debate him that it's not going to be a fair thing he's editing the podcast he's obviously not intellectually honest from the arguments that he's using and I just don't think that going on his podcast would end well. He He's likely going to selectively edit things to make him look good, make his guests look bad. And it's just not worth the risk of him being duplicitous and not being honest about the whole thing. Um, um, now, I, I'd say certainly within, you know, our circles, every few years, there's um, somebody, often a young male who comes along and starts to try to organize all these debates. Didn't we have sort of a biologist a university biologist um do tried something similar a few years yeah, ago. Yeah. From Auckland. What was his name? You're talking about Zach. 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 Yes. There we Zachary. Go. Yeah, Zachary. Zach Zachary Adern. Adern, yes. No, no uh relative to Jacinda. Yeah, so I I love that guy. At least he has some nuanced arguments. I mean, he's he's still wrong, Zachary. But I went to see him in Palmerston North. A uh, few of us skeptics went along, and we dragged him out to the pub afterwards. I'd threatened beforehand that I was going to go to this event and I was going to take him to the pub, and uh, we took him to the pub and had a really good time for an hour. Like I think it was him and eight skeptics around a pub table having a chat. He was probably a little bit out of his depth, but it was it was really good fun. Yeah, Nick Blackie is is no Zach, sadly. So it turns out Nick has not been able to find anybody to interview about his slam dunk argument for Christianity. So instead, he made a podcast episode 
which he titled My List of Questions for Non-Christians. And he had five questions, but as Bronwyn already alluded to, every question was like 20 or 30, 40 questions maybe rolled into one. They just kept coming in in what Bronwyn described as a gish gallop, um, a really, really ridiculously long list that, you know, the, the idea of a gish gallop. So Dwayne Gish was a creationist who was famous in public debates for coming out with so many arguments in quick succession that it would take an order of magnitude more time to explain the reality of the things he's come out with than he'd done. And in a debate format where you only get 20 minutes or half an hour each side, the other person didn't even have time to undo the stupid that Dwayne had sprayed across the audience. It, it really was. And he became famous for this, just, just for this quick fire idiotic creationist ideas and it seems to have caught on and i i think this is definitely a case like nick at the beginning of this podcast episode he says you know i genuinely want answers to these this is not me saying i've got arguments for christianity this is just if christianity wasn't true here are lots of questions that i would have about the world that's obviously a lie. This is obviously he has been listening to other Christian apologists and he has compi compiled these questions along with some of his own that he's thought about. But a bunch of them, it's obvious, are not his own questions. A bunch of them I've heard time and time before. But he basically puts them into five groups. So the first group uh, starts off with the question, what caused us to begin? And then he goes on with a whole bunch of anti-evolution stuff. Where did the first life come from? Or has it always been here? I mean, maybe if your idea of the Earth is 6,000 years old, you could think always. But generally, we have an idea that what life started three and a half billion years ago or something. And, you know, before that, there wasn't life on the planet. But the planet's, what, four and a half billion years old or something. Um, and then he carried on with questions like, if all species evolved from the same first life, why are humans so much more advanced than other animals? If macroevolution is true, what evidence is there? Where did the space for the universe come from? Total misunderstanding of cosmology there. I mean, space is the universe. It, it, like, it expanded into nothing. Um, you know, you don't need space for a universe to grow into. The space is what the universe is. <laughs> Where did matter come from? Well, we don't know, but it's okay not to know. Where did the energy come from to do all of the organizing? Oh, and that was also with the question, how did matter get so perfectly organized? I think was a leading question, like, is it so perfectly organized? I don't know. Uh, where, when, where, why, and how did life come from dead matter? What, oh, and this is a Ray Comfort one, I think. What, uh, with what did the first cell capable of sexual reproduction reproduce? Craig, do you <laughs> want to give that one a go? Uh, well, I, I have heard those those arguments from Ray Comfort before. He's he always thinks that there has to be a male and a female that evolved the same changes at one stage at a time, and they had to have this chance existence so that they could both mate and and produce compatible offspring, which is a yeah. complete misunderstanding of of how so, how evolution works. Because and Ray Comfort thinks that for, yeah. for every single species, doesn't he? He thinks that speciation yeah. is a singular event, and he thinks if it happens to a male and a male becomes a new species, there's no female to mate with, and vice versa. Like, such a, such a dumb misunderstanding. It's really painful to listen to. Yeah. Yeah, and so um, yes, that, of course, is that uh, things evolved way, way before there were the multiple sexes. 
Um, and so, yes, there was that, that base life plan well before we had sexual di- divergence. And uh, yes, the way. Absolutely. And I, I can imagine like very small organisms that reproduce asexually gaining the ability to reproduce sexually as well, but they still have asexual reproduction. They, you know, they, they could have both at the same time. And we still have animals that do asexually reproduce sometimes. That That's still a thing that happens with some of the higher animals. Um, it, it, you know, it's not something that's totally gone away, asexual reproduction um, mm. for, you and know. If, and I, of course, there's a hidden assumption in his question about why we are so advanced in that, there is this uh, supposed ladder and progression of evolution when, in fact, we're all equally evolved, as evolved as every other creature on the Earth. Yes, we just have certain specializations, one of which is our ability to think, which is way and above other animals. But, yeah, other animals do a much better job of, let's say, tearing something apart. Um, you know, we're, we're a lot less good than a tiger at ripping into something. Hmm. They are definitely more evolved than us at fighting. I would not fight a tiger. All right. So it just keeps going. Uh, How can mutations create any new improved varieties? For example, recombining English letters will never produce Chinese books. I'd argue probably, yes, it can because of pinyin Chinese. You you can write Chinese using our characters. But again, it's a total misunderstanding of DNA. Um, Mutations get thrown in there as well. The, the whole thing is just like I. So Daniel Ryan, who's a member of the Skeptics Committee, um, when we were I was driving him home from our skeptical activism meeting the other day, I made him listen to this episode and he listened to it. And then he's like, he should just pick up a biology textbook, which yes, really exactly because exactly. mutation is like actually a very small part of evolution. Yeah, it, it's a little bit of reading. You know, he just just needs to start somewhere and actually learn. I think he's saying, where are the answers to these? But it's obvious he's not gone out and looked. He hasn't gone and looked for them, no. Um, and so, it, as I said, it's kind of disingenuous. All right, so that was question one, like a total misunderstanding of biology and, and the rest of science. But also, it's that whole thing of, well, science doesn't have all the answers, therefore God. And it's like, you can't use God to fill the holes where we haven't figured stuff out yet. And there might be places where we never figure stuff out. You still can't shove God in that hole. That mm. hole is a hole because we don't know. You can't just proclaim that you know. That's not how we do things. So, Question two, where did morality come from? So now we've got to his big absolute morals. Uh, Why do humans set up courts, but monkeys don't? Well, um, (laughs) I I guess uh, you probably would find if you studied non-human primates that they actually do have um, justice systems. They don't have courts uh, in the same sense that we do, but they certainly punish their uh, fellow uh, creatures who step out of line and do th- things that are wrong. Um, and I I recall, um, I think it was reading in a Carl Sagan book about how there was this example of this chimp that was cheating on his partner with this other chimp and basically going and hiding behind this rock. And uh, normally when chimps are having sex, they were very vocal. But because he was cheating on his partner, they went and hid and basically did it silently um and that that kind of story sort of illustrated that they had the the awareness of of that they were doing something wrong so i guess that speaks to non-humans actually still having some sort of morality yeah okay (laughs) why do societies built on judeo-christian beliefs tend to do better economically and have a higher life expectancy 
<laughs> that question is seven shades of wrong. <laughs> like the fact that he even went there, I think maybe shows a youthful ignorance. Hmm. Um, but again, th there is a lot of reading that needs to happen there. Um, what life is more important to protect a fly or a human being? If we punish humans for murdering each other, shouldn't we punish humans for murdering insects? No, no, we shouldn't. <laughs> Well, it wouldn't be murder anyway, because isn't the definition of murder that you actually have to kill a human being? What, what's what's the what's the um, logical argument that he's trying to build into with a question like that? I, I think where he's going is basically that either there are moral absolutes and they've come from a god, or everything is subjective. And if everything's subjective, it's all ridiculous. But we don't live in a ridiculous world. Well, we well, live okay, in a but... world where we have ideas of morals. Therefore, God must have given them to us. Therefore, God must exist. Okay, but by his argument, then we, then all Christians should be against killing flies, because if killing is wrong, <sighs> yeah, how can they justify uh, killing flies? I love that you're trying to engage logically with this whole thing. <laughs> um, but yeah, part of this argument, Bronwyn, and the, the part that I choke because I don't think even the Christians that use this believe it, is the idea that either morals are objective or it's totally subjective and actually we should be all right going out raping and killing people that this should all be fine because everything's subjective um and it totally misses the entire middle between objective morals are the same for everybody and everybody being able to do what they like which is the i think it's called moral intersubjectivity the idea that as a group we decide what moral actions are but also those moral actions largely come from evolution from what i understand they they come from yeah we've evolved to be able to have functioning societies because if you don't have functioning societies you don't reproduce very well and you die out so you know a lot of it's inbuilt to us to make sure that we don't go basically wiping our own species out hmm. um but the, the implicit assumption there is that morals are universal anyway but i think they have done studies on there are certain tribes um that have not had sort of contact with the rest of humanity who've sh been shown that they actually do have a different set of morals that the, some of the things that we might find abhorrent are actually um, perfectly acceptable for for those tribes in the deepest darkest amazon or, or wherever that they maybe find cannibalism perfectly acceptable and that, all that sort of stuff so yeah. it's, it's not a universal set of morals but i certainly d agree with you that the that morals uh, morality is definitely based upon evolution i think um richard dawkins covered it in his um blind watchmaker thing pretty well um the tit for tat kind of thing and uh, uh in in basically uh yes if, if you harm me i'm going to harm you and and that's the way morals have evolved to sort of back off from those sorts of situations so yeah and that doesn't explain all of it i i think especially as you know animals that can think very well i i think our moral ideas have gone way past just what evolution has given us and they, they've mm. become a lot more nuanced and certainly a lot fairer to every human now than they would be just through evolution but yeah evolution seems to provided a good solid basis for what we consider our morals to be um mm. so he goes on what's worse one person dying in a car crash or an entire school bus why is it well, because the trolley like, problem is this a yeah. trolley problem <laughs> <laughs> um, and where does this value of a human life derive from, which presumably, again, is a god? Um, and then if if there's nothing after we die and no one will be judged for their actions, why try to be kind to the poor? Why give to charities? Again, you know, he's potentially just showing off how much of an a-hole he is. 
you know, if as far as he's concerned, without the threat of eternal hell, he wouldn't be a nice person. That's quite an admission. But honestly, I don't think he'd be like that. I think if he was an atheist, he'd probably still be a kind person. He doesn't sound like he's a kind person to begin with anyway. But anyway. All right. Next question. Number three. What is our purpose? Why does anything really matter in the long term? Oh, and the answer I, hate- I had for this one. Is, oh, sorry, Bronwyn. I should say I really hate this question because many a few many years ago, um, back when I was living in Palmerston North, uh, Matt Willey was hosting the Skeptics in the Pub out there. And I'm not sure how it came about, but we end up having some guys from a local evangelical church come in. And, they, you know, sort of a exchange in a sense. They come and talk to us and we learn a bit more about what they, what, what they had to say or what they had to do. And this is where the within 10 minutes of them starting to talk and give a little bit of presentation. This is where we all sort of got stuck on because they were trying to say that, oh, because we didn't have God, atheists didn't have a purpose. <laughs> we don't have an ultimate God-given purpose. But yeah, I mean, you know, we, we all know as atheists or hopefully hopefully most atheists know that you make your own purpose just because God hasn't given you a purpose uh, doesn't mean that you are purposeless. You you pick things. You choose a cause like skepticism, and and you pick our, that as your our purpose. purpose that's what you do. Our purpose is to annoy Christians. <laughs> I think for some people it is, and I think sometimes that's a good thing. I, I think some Christians, when they get annoyed enough, they might question their own religion, and that's great. But yeah, I'm I'm happy to annoy Christians occasionally. So this one. Yeah, I'm, I, as I said in the newsletter, you know, I have I have news for Nick, but I'm sorry, but there is no ultimate purpose. Your your life in the oh, grand scheme right. of things is meaningless. Like you know, in in the next twenty billion years of the universe, what you do in the seventy eighty years you have here really will have no impact on the universe. Um, it it's such a small contribution that each of us give. Um, it's ridiculously small, but that's fine. You know, you you just Get over it and keep moving. It turns out you're not the most important thing out there. Nobody is. We're all just tiny specks stuck to the surface of a planet, a rock flying around a ball of hydrogen in space. But some of us are more significant than others. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Taking that as a personal affront. (laughs) All right. Question four. And this one was very frustrating. How do we disprove the resurrection of Jesus? So he started with an admission, which was kind of good. He said, the burden of proof is with Christians to prove the resurrection. But then he goes on to say, and as far as I'm concerned, Christians have bought an abundance of proof. So the default now is that the resurrection did happen because Christians have proved it. So the burden of proof is now on the non-Christians to prove that it didn't happen. So That's what not proof? how that works. So, so what proof has he deemed as being this proves that the resurrection happened? Well, that way we can uh, falsify Nick, it. Or Nick has an entire episode de- dedicated to this, oh, and he no. recommends that you listen to it. And I have listened no. to it, and it is shoddy to say the least. Okay, well then share with us what's the evidence that he feels is grand enough to... Give us the cliff cliff notes. It's the standard thing. Tacitus and Pliny, the elder, younger, middle, whichever one he is, and a a few others who were contemporary and wrote about Christus, etc. The fact that the Bible's there, the fact that the apostles were willing to die for their belief, 
uh, like nobody's ever died for a belief that turns out not to be true. Mormonism. <clears throat> so, yeah, there's just silly ideas, the standard silly Christian ideas that as far as they're concerned are absolute proof. 500 eyewitnesses. 500. We've got eyewitness reports from at least 500 people <laughs> who say that they saw Jesus after he had died. And it's like, no, no, we don't. No, you've got to I mean, claim that we had 500 yeah. people. <laughs> yeah. So it, it's that kind of thing. It's it's not good evidence. It's not the kind of evidence that we would take. Like history is a weird one, right? Because there are some historical events where the level of evidence needed isn't that much because of the claim being made as an extraordinary. Um, so there's a lot of stuff where we might have a paucity of evidence, but we still go, actually, this is probably how it happened. But then there are some things where people really have really have kind of bet their life on it, where they they've got a horse in the race. They they have a reason to really want this to sound like it's true, where a little bit of evidence is not enough, where you, you have to have a lot better quality evidence because maybe you're saying that some dude went and walked on a lake. Um, which doesn't happen. Or maybe you're saying that he turned water into wine at a party. Um, or maybe you're saying that he came back from the dead after three days. And those kinds of things, they're not normal. So your level of evidence should be pretty damn high. You're getting us from the life of Brian, aren't you? <laughs> <laughs> that probably is the cliff notes, but I didn't I didn't remember the leper. I forgot about him. <laughs> or the old ex-leper. <laughs> Spare a denarii for an old ex-leper, yeah. Mm. Mm. All right. Number five. What is our destiny? If there's nothing after we die, then why not end it all when life gets tough? You aren't going to feel anything, right? <laughs> wow. That's... Yeah. I, I've got a, a Catholic guy that I've met a couple of times in the pub who emails me occasionally. He's a lovely man, but he used this argument with me once, which was basically logically your atheism suggest that you should probably just kill yourself that because of your atheism because nothing means anything you'd be as good off dead as you are alive so why not just finish it now and this feels like a variation of that it's horrible i mean that yeah. that idea that you know oh if you if you don't have eternity in heaven if you don't have this absolute purpose if you don't have a god then your life doesn't mean anything and really it's it's not worth it it's ugh. As I, I mean, said, he's proposing a lot of questions that that need a lot of sort of deep philosophical discussion to to actually scratch the surface of. It's, yeah, you, there's oh, no sir. really simple answers to that. I mean, to to some extent, what he's saying is correct, but uh, it, the for me, if if I decide to kill myself, I know that I would cause a lot of pain to a whole lot of other people uh, yeah. that I left behind, and maybe some but joy. At the same time, as I said in the newsletter, if you get to the point where you are in pain all the time and that is going to be your life, it's probably okay to end it. It's probably okay that you call it quits and say, I'd rather go out now on my own terms than suffering for the next however many months. And, you know, thankfully, we've had a law change over here where in very limited circumstances, people can do that now. Um, but yeah, life, life is not this sacrosanct, perfect thing that is God given and we need to protect at all costs. I mean, we are 
we are bits of biology. And and again, the same way that I said, you know, we, we don't have some grand purpose. At the same time, we don't have no purpose. Like we have a short amount of time on this planet. But in that time, we can do something cool. We can help people. We can make the world a better place. We can fight misinformation and try and improve conditions for people. There are little things that we can do where we, we can leave having made this place a little bit better. So, yeah, you, you're not going to be an amazing superhero like you're told by Christians that you are, but you're also not nothing. You're something in between. And you, I think maybe it shows an immaturity that people can't get their head around that or don't want to get their head around that, the idea that, yeah, we're, we're not all magical, special beings. We're not all special loved lambs of God, but that doesn't mean we're nothing. We can make our own purpose, and for the people around us, mm. we can be something special. Yeah. How old is this guy? I think nineteen, maybe right. twenty now. So he is still very young. I mean, he's he had a three part interview. Peak, that's peak Christian evangelism, I think. Yeah. He he had a three part interview, three episodes with a friend of his who was still at university, and I think he said on the podcast that they were the same age, and this guy was around nineteen twenty. That was painful. It, th this was a three part interview with a non religious person. I think he phrased it as this mm -hmm. non religious nineteen year old, twenty year old that he interviewed believed in a god, just not necessarily the Christian god, and thought Jesus was a swell guy. Um, and it was like, so in what case is this a non-believer? I'm, I'm really having trouble getting my head around this. This sounds like a guy that very much wants to believe, a guy that's probably ripe for the evangelical picking here. Mm. So that, yeah. But that's the closest you get. That's the nearest he could get to a, a non-religious person. In my experience, the people I went to university with who were Christians, the vast majority of them now are no longer Christians. <laughs> so it seems to me that people get all uh, enthusiastic about Christianity, but in their teens and, and early 20s and then <laughs> wake up to the real world. And it's, it's, it's a, a lot it's of a them realize that, yeah. It's it's a big part of that. It's the youth group culture, though. It's, mm -hmm. you know, you're lonely at university, you're lonely at high school, and all of a sudden, if you show up on this Thursday night for a couple of hours, you listen to, you know, that's not the greatest music, but it's all right. It's kind of rock. It's kind of pop. And you got this instant group of friends, people who think you're funny as long as you don't swear. Or and you this, can easily be the edgy person because you swear. Th this seems to be what's going on at this Christchurch church. Um, there's a picture of the evangelism group, and it is, I think, maybe half a dozen young men. And it seems like this guy, Nick, is very front and center as the pastor's son. But then in the photo, you can also see a couple of old people presumably guiding things from the background while they're on their weekend evangelism. So there's still, you know, a bunch of control going on there by the looks of it. Um, a little bit of oversight from the oldies. And yeah, I mean, we, we can only hope that these people learn more about the reality of life and its complexity as they grow older. But I guess it's happening, right? You know, we're, we're seeing a drop in religiosity in this country, a rise of non-believers. We're about to hit way a rise. over the 50% mark, a, a rise. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I mean, a rise did have a rise for a long time, but I believe it's now falling. Um, <laughs> and that is a very good thing. I am glad that a rise church is losing money. Well, I'm sure that we can find answers to all of those, just not little pithy ones. That's the thing. It's uh, very easy to come up with questions that seem to stump somebody who hasn't thought about things deeply, but uh, 
Yeah. Being able to just sort of come back with a quick answer is either you you tend to uh, spout atheist talking points, as I'm sure that guy would say, or, or you spend a fair bit of time actually trying to come up with something that actually makes good logical sense in, re- in response. Yeah. It's a lot harder to do. Yeah, my, my concern with him is that if anybody actually engaged with him, it would not make a blind bit of difference. I can't imagine mm. someone refuting one of his arguments would stop him using it. I, I think he's got his ammunition and he loves it. And I don't think he'd he'd drop it if someone showed him it was nonsense. He'd just carry on. He'd, he'd wait for a week and then he'd just use the same arguments again, I'm pretty sure. I've seen it before. Well, that's what rape comfort does. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yes. <laughs> yeah. He just ignores well, he the haters. He doesn't drop it for a week. He doesn't drop it for a week. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he does the same thing as well of going out after young people, right? He goes to university campuses and tries to get them while they're young. Mm, and that's where the freshmen learn. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and people are going through a lot of life change where you might be able to convince them for a month that they are Christians and they need to come to your church. But, I mean, you know, Ray Comfort also had that re- old school um, tactic of, you know, giving away money, you know, <laughs> oh, the... debate, debate me for cash. Sort of. Oh, yeah. So you imagine yeah. you're like a, you know, you're a you're a young college student who feels like you know everything about the world. And, OK, you're going to fight this Christian for <laughs> 20, 30, 40, 50 dollars. Yeah. And you well, make a hash and you make and you make a fool of yourself. <laughs> when when you said cash, I thought you were going to talk about the million dollar notes, um, which coincidentally Nick Blackie hands out in Christchurch. Of course, <laughs> of course. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? I mean, if you if you walk if you go down the street in town and um, you encounter Christian evangelists, chances are they're going to be handling handing out uh, living waters paraphernalia. Yeah, and it. I'm sure it works well on people who are susceptible to that sort of thing, who haven't thought deeply about the issues, can see this pamphlet that asks some simple questions with seemingly simple answers. And, um, yep, that's the answer. It's God. I really want to see Ray Comfort live. He was going to be doing a talk in Christchurch a few years ago. I was planning to go down there. Then I found he was doing a talk via video feed. And I thought his own hometown, and he didn't even fly there. I think he was doing it the same weekend as we had a skeptics conference. And oh, was I it that weekend? We made the comment that, oh, we should see if we can get him along to debate. And then it turned out that no, <laughs> it was just via video feed. Yeah, I, I would have left the conference to go and see Ray Comfort. I'm sorry, our conferences are great, but a chance to see Ray Comfort, whew, that would be amazing. <laughs> The touch the hand that touched Kurt Cameron. <laughs> oh, like inappropriately touched Kurt Cameron? What are you saying? Here? No, I will. I am not saying or implying any such activities. Hmm. Child actor, man with a moustache. This is all falling together now. Hmm. Well, in, in the few times that I've been to LA, I've been tempted to go down to Huntington Beach to see if I could encounter uh, Ray Comfort. But uh, unless you it hasn't should. happened. He'd love to hear a fellow <laughs> Kiwi accent, I'm sure. <laughs> Yes. Take you to his house, but, go see his chickens, hang out with his dog. Yeah, ride along the street on a uh, on a bike with him <laughs> in short shorts. Great. <laughs> this, no, this limitry is not okay. Stop it. <laughs> and then you'd have anyway. to go to, and then you have to go to the builders of the Adatum for a chaser. To the what? Boda. Builders of the Adatum. Craig, keep up with your cults, honestly. Okay. Sorry, it's all it's all beyond me. <laughs>
Uh, right. Okay. So moving on. I don't. I don't even know how to introduce this one, but you're well, going to... I, I can introduce myself. Um, okay. All right. Because well, it was interesting because Mark and I went to prayers in Parliament. I wrote a little bit about this for my editorial several months ago in June, and I may have even spoke a little bit about a bit about it on the podcast because we tend to give do these little debriefs about the things that we see, and it's and it's election season. Um, so it's kind of good to sort of check in on what the story is with um, Nacy Chen. Now, Nacy Chen is not a Wellington or a Hutt um, Labour List MP. She is a Labour List MP in Auckland. Um, I think right. she was well, in Auckland's a big in, place. We, we, yeah, I think she was in Botany, um, but maybe it's Eastern ah, Bays. Eastern okay. Bays is ex- exactly. I mean, I know the um, two very different places. I know. I'm not. I don't know my my Auckland uh, geography. It's just in the past it ha- she has been down as the MP in Botany. Okay. Right. Um, but that's not the most relevant thing. Um, she did introduce herself similarly at the present parliament as a PK, which is a shorthand for pastor's kid. And then this week I was listening to a podcast. Not a psychokinetic. <laughs> no, 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 PK, pastor's kid, more boring, less interesting. But interest- interestingly enough, I've been lis- I was listening to a podcast called Simply Politics. And she said, actually, I'm not a PK kid. Her dad only became a pastor about eight years ago. When she was an adult, and I think what 2017, she um she had her first kick at the cat in the election, so not that mm. long. Um, but anyways, yeah, no. So Nancy Chen, she was the parliamentary host for the prayers of Parliament that we went to earlier this year, and it was very interesting. She cut a really interesting figure because in the past couple times that we've gone, it's always been more of the national MPs, people, um, the MPs who are a bit more conservative. And I think I probably said back then she had a really interesting speech. Um, particularly in terms of, you know, how everybody, particularly, you know, the Christian leaders and the representatives who were present at present parliament, you know, they said due to the um, abuse that has happened in care and that's often involved, you know, Christian churches, all of us have to repent on behalf of the um, brothers and sisters who have done harm. And that actually got some really positive response from the audience. Like, yes, yes, we, we, you know, yes, we, we do have some repenting to do, which is, um, Okay, that was a pleasant surprise. But then it slowly had to sort of uh, cast a bit of a side eye because she made two really interesting comments. One was trying to rehabilitate the former transport and immigration minister, Michael Wood. Now, Michael Wood resigned probably around the time of the present parliament, but he had to he he had to leave his uh, ministerial ministerial position and basically resign from parliament because he did not declare all of his various interests, such as in the Auckland airport. Mm. Um, he was part of, he had interest in shares in Auckland airport, chorus, spark, Nastral Australia bank. And if you're an MP, you have to go and declare all your interests, including, you know, any loans you have. So, and any properties you have into this public register. And I included a link for that one in the um, newsletter article I wrote. Because it's just interesting to see what she has, what she's, what her interests are. Um, you can see Luxon's uh, interests. You can see Judith Collins, all the things <laughs> that they have. Absolutely fascinating. So for Woods to just not declare anything is actually kind of problematic, particularly since he's had ownership in a lot of these things since about like the 1990s. Now, I think that's when he started getting having scare- shares in um, Auckland Airport. And what was re- better in that time? Ah, oh, yeah. Um, but what was really interesting looking into Nacy Chen's family is that her father, and as I said to you before we started recording, Craig, this is actually happening in your neck of the woods. Um, her, okay. 
Now I'm I'm terrible in terms of pronouncing names, so it might it might be Zi Chen or Chi uh, Chen. Um, her father he, he he originally trained as a doctor in China, and then when they immigrated to New Zealand when Nacy was five, um, him and his wife owned a one of the earliest acupuncture clinics on the North Shore. Um, about eight years ago, he became a the preacher slash senior pastor at the Bread of Life Church or Bread of Life Christian Church. And that is a Taiwanese planted church. And they had raised a couple, like over a million dollars and had a mortgage for a $1.5 million for a property in Rosedale. And then the intent of using that Rosedale property was to turn it into a 300 seat church. Yeah. So Rosedale is, uh, it's near Albany in Auckland, and it's kind of rural. Used to be a lot of sort of uh, sort of horses out there. It's kind of built up a little bit more now. Yeah. So um, um, it, in the article, I include an image of the church, and you may know that building. That building may uh, may be a little bit more familiar than you think. Um. So you know. So they purchased this building in 2017 for refurbishment, and the plan was that they were going to do another set of fundraising for the refurbishment. So they bought a building with a mortgage and they've kind of paid down the interest on that mortgage to about from about 1.5 million to $300,000. So they've done really well, the church has, but then there's going to be a separate fundraiser for refurbishment. None of that between 2017 to 2022, when all the legal issues started, none of that refurbishment happened. What's been happening over the years since they bought this building is that there's been lots of internal drama, internal infighting, but it meant that both church membership and incoming donations have dropped and they're still meeting at a different rented premises. So a lot of this older congregation were suggesting, hey, maybe we should, you know, readjust our expectations, only use half of the Rosedale property as a church and then rent out the other half. Hmm. So I've gone and I've gone and had a look at the photo. Yeah. And I, yes, I think I do recognize that if I had to place a bet on it, I would say that it's in William Pickering Drive in Rosedale. Yeah, I think but it's kind I may of... be wrong. Mm. The membership were bringing up these ideas to him, and he's like, yeah, nah. And he said, you know, let's just sell the building entirely and do something else. The mother church supported him. It didn't support the trustee board that the church in Auckland had. And um, pretty much Chen decided, yeah, the building project that you guys have in mind is not going ahead. So people were saying, hey, look, you know, can we have our money back? Because we gave you money that we earmarked for this particular task. And he's like, no, the money's with God now. (laughs) So a lot of um, older members went to age concern. And said, you know, hey, you know, we're having having a lot of stress over where this money's going. A lot of mental and health um, issues are coming up because of it. Can you do something? So the case over where this money's gone, that's still going on through the high court. However, Chen has been successful with a course through the Employment Relations Authority because the board was so mad at him, in a sense, that they one of the treasurers stopped paying him. So he kept on working as a pastor and still kept on working for the church because that's what the mother church in tai, Taiwan wanted. Um, but the treasurer's like, no, nah, because you, you know, you're not actually really an employee. Um, he was working as a pastor between oh, 2015 to 2019 without actually having a proper written contract. As I said, definitely, definitely a massive drama. 
And so we were kind of like, wow, that's a really interesting comment she made about, you know, Michael Woods being a good Christian at heart and this massive financial drama going on in her own background and in her own backyard. But as Mm -hmm. I said, um, he has won that um, and he's been allowed to, you know, they he's the board has been told that you need to start paying him again. Watch Hmm. this space as to what whatever's going to happen to that building if they sell it or if they have sold it. Who knows? Um, What's her position on the labor list? What do you she mean? Quite high up. Well, she so she's a Labour listing number. Yeah. Oh, I, I don't know like, that question. Um, however, she I think you know she because of she's one of the only Chinese MPs, so that's given her a little bit of a different profile than other MPs. Mm. She um, traveled with Hipkins when he went on his um, recent um, as a as part of the business delegation to China back um, right. earlier this year. So he was she mm. was part of that. Uh, just as a completely uh, aside, I uh, did a Google of the um, Parliamentary Register of Pecuniary Interests <laughs> and got back a PDF document that is a scan of a printed document. You cannot search it. I've been able to oh search God. that. Have you? Well, the, the document I found, it's um, mm-hmm. yeah, you cannot search it because it's, it's a scan, it seems. I don't know. <laughs> Um, Nacy Chen is 33 on the Labour list. Right. Mm. So I don't know whether that means she's likely to get back in or not, I suppose. Yeah. Depends upon the mixture of electorate MPs and list MPs Mm. and their share of the vote. Lots of uh, maths to do. Figure that out. I guess Mm. it's how many above her. I mean, not only how many votes they get, but how many above her are voted in, right? Because a lot of the ones Mm. that are above her will retain a seat, not need to come in on the list. Yes, yes. So some are so, just uh, list candidates, but she's not. Yeah, so the list candidates are used to make up the proportion of the party vote that aren't electorate MPs yeah. voted in. But, yeah, right, right. So being 33 on the list. You you can yes. be just a list member or you can you have can be an electorate yes. as well. Yeah, right, right. And if you have an electorate yes. and you win, you obviously don't need to come out of the list people that you can choose. Yeah, so you they get selected off. The, the, yes, so they put high-profile high MPs as both electorate MPs and near the top of the list as well to guarantee that uh, they get in. Oh, I'm looking Generally, here. Yeah, Grant Robertson is like not. The, Grant Robertson is only list MP. He's not got an electorate anymore. Right, but he's quite quite high up on the list, presumably. Yeah, he's number four on the list. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, Nacy, she, you know, there's that little thing in the background. Um, I do include a little bit of a story that she, an anecdote that she shared, also trying to, I guess, sell herself to a rather, I shouldn't say an unusual group for her, because um, she has done things in terms of being a candidate in a church, you know, going, talking in churches, talking about being a, you know, talking about her Christian faith as a politician. And I think she mm. actually um, did a session with Chris Luxon um, a few years ago, because I think oh. they were, yeah. So yeah. This, it's, it's not new ground, though I suppose for Wellington, Wellingtonians who aren't familiar with Nacy Chen to have her present at Parliament in this sort of way is a new side. For it would be interesting panel. to know what proportion um, of MPs in each political party have some sort of strong Christian faith, wouldn't it? Mm. So I I have talked to an MP who I'm not going to name about this. Um, and apparently in prayers at Parliament, and this is a current serving MP, 
Uh, apparently, but prayers in Parliament, there are a bunch of definite atheist MPs and they tend to look up and just kind of give each other a nod and a wink. There's a little bit of, oh, yeah, you're a, you're another non-believer. So, yeah, I think the MPs amongst <laughs> themselves, that at least the non-believers are aware of who the others are because they're not bowing their head. Not so. But, but you mean the actual but you mean the actual praying the prayer in a normal par- parliamentary sitting versus say the prayers at parliament which is the activity yes. that we're talking about so this is the so there's always a prayer that opens parliament every day it's the one that they removed what did they remove Jesus and the Queen from? And then yeah. due to popular demand, they had to put the Queen back, but Jesus stayed out. Um, yeah. Be the king now, though, wouldn't it? Yeah. I guess so. I mean, is the king as popular as the Queen? Probably not. Yeah. Um, but getting slightly back on topic, um, Chen shared this really, really interesting tidbit as sort of an example of, you know, it can be really hard to be a Christian in the House of Representatives. And she was talking about um, somehow it was after an event and she was talking to a Muslim MP. Now, at the moment, we only have one Muslim MP. So essentially, she identified this guy. Um, and she said, apparently, he was he he was sharing that, you know, it's really hard to be a Muslim to practice, to, you know, practice my faith in the House of Representatives because he had somebody and she never specified if he ever specified whether this person was a staffer or another politician. But apparently, somebody approached this Muslim MP and said, I'm not going to celebrate Eid or any other activities because you got, you know, Muslim represents anti-pride and other things I don't believe in. And, you know, that's, you know, it's it's a bully. It's a crummy statement. It's bullying. But we also have these other issues. If you're saying, oh, anti-pride, you do need to sort of give a lot of clarification because you've just sort of left it in the out there that this guy is. Well, what's his stance? Is he is he is he for pride? Is he what's going on? So she kind of threw him under the bus. Right. And then and then she asked, um, don't don't share this outside the room. And I'm like, that's a that's a misstep. Beyond <laughs> of, of all missteps. Yes, Bromin, because you are definitely sharing it outside the room. Uh, I am. I am. <laughs> but I mean as you know, small you, as this room may be. <laughs> as 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 all ten of our listeners uh may know. Oh, don't worry. Um I I don't know our exact listener number, but it's a lot more than Nick Blackie's podcast. I've I've checked the stats. He is not getting many listeners. We are we are well, higher than the um, Christchurch evangelist. You, you've now elevated his podcast to um, stardom within the oh the community. Do you think he's going to get like hundreds of listeners that are only Maybe. listening because they're gawking? Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you know, and particularly because this story came, you know, she was give, sharing this anecdote maybe two or three months after we had uh, Posey Parker, Parker Posey. I can never get her name. Posey Parker. You know, yeah, Posey Parker. You know, this is two or three months after her visit to New Zealand. So we still have and we still have some very we have heightened tensions regarding her visit and what mm. happened. Well, she's coming back this month, I think. Mm. So to sort of, to, you know, to specifically mention pride um, was a bit, you know, that was a bit of a. Ooh, bit of a surprise you know and this may be something that's up your alley craig maybe you need to do a bit of a recce trip for the podcast but on september 10th chen and several other candidates are going to be um at the windsor park baptist church meet the candidates night called lean in christianity and politics so they'll be with the exception of the freedoms nz party because no one's inviting them anywhere or vision nz um it's going to be a candidate from each from each of the main parties talking about christianity and being a politician where Windsor Park, Windsor Park Baptist Windsor Church. Park. It's in the newsletter article. <laughs> 10th <laughs> of September, she said. Five days, Wednesday, Thursday, Sunday. 
Yeah, Sunday. Sunday I'll be writing the newsletter. Yeah. Um, Go and visit this event. It'll give you newsletter content. But um, as I said in the article, one of the things that was sort of interesting when we were having our post-prayer debrief and uh, returning ourselves to our natural heathen states, um, started doing a little bit more exploring into who Nacy Chen was. She was clearly the most interesting person of that whole event and come across the accusations that she is a stooge for the Chinese government because she was part of a Chinese student group called the Chinese Students and Scholars Association. You know, I'm quite familiar with that with that group, but more so from all the rumors that were always surrounding that group back when I was an undergrad in Canada. And this was back in the early 2000s. Um, for people who are not aware, the Chinese Students and Scholars Association it's meant to be something of a social service group for university students. It's been for Chinese students overseas. There's practically an organization, a version of it in every university and college campus, practically worldwide. Uh, it's been around since the 1970s. But in the past 20 years, we've been seeing a really real uptick in stories about Chinese students being followed or being harassed or having or being surveilled by members of the Chinese Students and Scholars Association because there's sort of a connection. Some groups have stronger connections to their local embassies and consulates than others. Um, some groups get lots of money and they can have lots of events and other groups don't. But it seems that there's a lot of people make a lot of um, correlations between, hey, I now attended this protest or, you know, now I'm overseas and I'm hearing more about what Tiananmen Square is, hearing more about the Uyghur um, Muslims. And I have a problem with this. You know, I'm you know, this is not the story that we get back home. And then all of a sudden they're they're getting calls from their family saying, hey, wait a minute, we hear that you're doing this while you're studying, stop doing that because we are getting, you know, we're getting in trouble with the government. And a lot of people, you know, the connection is being made that it's a Chinese Student Scholar Association that's doing that. And, you know, that suspicion has some foundation. There's some basis to it, uh, particularly in Australia. There were, there's been stories of members and executive members or at least student leader members, like the president of the group, going into the, going into pharmacies and saying, hey, look, you can't sell the Epoch Times. You know, you can't sell these anti-Chinese newsletters or, you know, papers that we feel that are show an anti-Chinese slant. Um, there is more than one campus, particularly one of the most famous one being University of Cambridge, where the embassy declared that, okay, you aren't going to have an election this year at, you know, even though that's against the university guidelines, we've already chosen who your president's going to be. So sometimes a heavy hand. Mm. It's come through these groups. Um, so, yeah, so 2017, for whatever reason, um, Anne-Marie Brady, who is sort of a well-known um, pundit in New Zealand for her, her, you know, for her conversation about how New Zealand is too closely connected or to having too close a relationship to China. Um, she's written, she wrote an article which mentioned Nacy Chen and Nacy Chen hasn't really been able to shake that accusation. I think what exactly it was, it was more so Brady was quoting a Twitter user in the years since. Yeah. The accusation that Nacy Chen could potentially be a CCP agent still follows. Interesting. I've looked up where the Windsor Park Baptist Church is, and it's in Mairangi Bay, which is on the North Shore and about 15, 20 minutes drive from here. From nice. Place. Yes. But it's uh, at their Lean In so that seems to be some sort of regular event, uh, 6 p.m. on uh, Sunday evening. 
So Lean In apparently is a space for curiosity, conversation, and connection where everyone is welcome. Oh, that sounds, sounds perfect. Like hands you, out Ray. to atheists. Yeah, do it. Go along. Go and experience the slightly weird. I'll see how I'm doing. See how I'm doing for time. Yeah, you're old. We know you get tired in the evenings. <laughs> you can you can ask all your questions. Well, they so they're going to have people there from National Labour Greens Act, New Conservative, the Opportunities Party, New Zealand First, none of the Freedom Parties. Oh, wow, no. that that actually is probably going to be a wide range of Christian beliefs. That might be quite interesting to see them all in a room together. Yes. Mm. Well, I mean, oh, you yeah. know, I I'd be interested to see if uh, Brian Tomicky or someone from Brian Tomicky's party. Uh, goes in and disrupts things a little bit because that's what they've been doing lately. <laughs> yes. threatening to do. It's been an interesting tactic. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't know. I'm a little bit concerned about Brian Tomicky saying that he has a connection. He's get, hearing voices from the spirit world <laughs> and what to do. I think, I don't know how Christian that is or is that very Christian? I don't, I don't know. Uh, it's as Christian as Brian Tamaki is Christian, <laughs> which is not very... Okay, um, so I was going to talk uh, briefly about uh, my little bit of research I did. We had a, a member, Rob, sent us an email, and he had been sent an article about climate change by one of his friends. So I did a bit of looking into that. Um, so he forwarded this article, uh, which is written by a guy by the name of John D. And he writes a blog on Substack. Now, looking into it, John D doesn't seem to be his real name. And uh, when I went and visited the Substack blog, this had a photo of a uh, bearded medieval man. So I immediately, in my mind, jumped to the conclusion that this is Galileo. And in fact, it's not Galileo, um, because uh, uh, Tim from the Australian Skeptics emailed me and said, well, hey, you made a mistake there. That's not uh, Galileo. That is actually um, a picture of a seer uh, from somewhere around, around about the same time as, as Galileo by the name of John D. So uh -huh. yeah, that, was, that was my first mistake. But in my defense, I said, well, they're both bearded old white men. <laughs> So. Not not in your defense. You should not be defending yourself. You should accept that you got it wrong. Be I humble. I, I did. I did. I did. I also quoted uh, uh, Baldrick from Blackadder um, in my response. And that uh, the, the quote about how uh, the paintings all looked alike because they were painted to a romantic ideal rather than the uh, actual facial features of the uh, the people right. concerned. Uh, but, but obviously, uh, obviously, Baldrick said it much better than I did. Um, but anyway, so I had a look into this. And so there's this guy who's blogging about climate change, and he's a climate change denier, of course. Uh, and so he was he was up in arms about how the fact that uh, the media were claiming that July was going to be the hottest July on record. And so he started off by saying, well, when he, he remembers back in 1976 when it was particularly hot in the UK. And uh, so, therefore, that proved that uh, that it wasn't the hottest July on record. Anyway, so he went and uh, cherry-picked some data. So I thought this is all very relevant because, um, as anybody who's a regular listener to the podcast will know, we previously uh, interviewed our uh, guest who's coming to the conference in November, um, Melanie Tresick-King, and she was talking quite a lot about climate change. 
uh, and and of course about the the cranky uncle app that is a good way of sort of training yourself up about spotting the arguments that are used to deny science and and climate change in particular. So reading through this blog was actually quite a good exercise in spotting some of the arguments. Um, So one of the first things he was doing was he was cherry-picking data, but he also provided a link to a website where you could actually go and get the raw data to try and figure to do produce these graphs yourself and see whether in fact the temperature is rising over time or in fact it's it's not and so i went to that link that he provided and i tried to go and find the data and in fact it takes you to a proper website that has all the um, temperature records from around the world back to before 1900 and it's and you can pull all sorts of data like highest uh, average daily temperatures. And when you go and do that, um, it's really is down to a matter of picking the the data you want to pick. But he was it seems he was picking um, temperature records from the middle of England, and so I had a look at those and I pulled out some graphs. And I certainly can't uh, reproduce what he was claiming in the art in his uh, blog article. <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah, the graph that you managed to get out certainly looks like it's trending upwards, doesn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. So I think he's um, really when you when you look at it, he's kind of pandering to his subscribers because this is a paywall article. The only reason I was able to see it is because um, our correspondent uh, through the committee mailing list managed to forward the email that his friend had sent him, who was obviously a subscriber to this person's blog. Um, and really, I think it's pandering to people who already believe that climate change isn't real and they want to, to have some sort of uh, scientist uh, justify their beliefs. Really, uh, we've seen you can prove anything if you cherry pick the data. Of course, we shouldn't take the word of somebody who claims to be an expert, and this guy claims to be uh, an expert in statistics and used to work for um, some government department in the UK. Um, he was supposedly a public service ombudsman, um, but obviously not a climatologist. Um, and even if he were a climatologist, he might well be one outlier who uh, who disagrees with all the other climatologists in the world and the scientific consensus that, in fact, global warming is is happening and is human-caused. So it was actually quite a good uh, um, sort of exercise in trying to figure out why exactly this this guy was, was wrong and uh, why people should ignore him. Not that people will, of course. No, I mean, if he's getting people to pay him for his articles, geez, yeah. people definitely want to read it. If I mean, we don't charge for our stuff. Maybe we should start. $10 a podcast episode? We should be on Substack. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we should have Patreon. Oh, no, no. <laughs> no, no, that would be depressing because we get so few people, people sign up. <laughs> or so many, it would go depressed. to our heads and we'd act like we were famous actors uh, and actresses. Okay. It would be awful right. either way. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, one question I had for you, Craig, in your article, um, the quotes from this article that you have been talking about, they're all in Comic Sans. Was that a deliberate choice? <laughs> yes. It seems to be, I guess, a a form of it's not quite poisoning the well, but you are you are doing something. There is a logical fallacy here. 
Well, I I do occasionally like to um, take quotes from people who uh, don't seem to be representing the science and put them in Comic Sans. And the only reason I do that is because I'm I'm a fan of um, uh, PZ Meyer's blog, uh, Feringula, and he does that with okay. anybody who's a crackpot. Um, I, I haven't have- gone to, quite so far as to put the text in red Comic Sans, <laughs> but that'll be the next step. I haven't read his blog in so many years. Is it still going strong? Yeah, you know, he often has yeah, some very, very good stuff on there. He's oh. uh, I generally ignore his articles about spiders. Um, right. I, okay. They don't interest me, but uh, but yeah, no, he generally has some pretty good stuff on there. I, I think his peak was uh, when he managed to jump on the on a call with uh, uh, some intelligent design people. There was a conference. There was a um, a telephone, a teleconference, and you could just dial into it, and uh, and he managed to find out what the um, pin was to be able to ask questions, and then he started asking some um, some inconvenient questions for the intelligent design people. Nice. <laughs> Didn't he also hammer a nail through a Bible? Yeah, no, through a cracker. Through a cracker. Oh, and did yes, he? Well, did yes. he, he deface was... a Bible? I think and put it in the bin. Uh, yeah, I don't know about that one. But yes, or he maybe put a, a nail through a cracker and right. the Catholics got upset because they believed that the not well it wasn't a cracker, it was a a communion. It was a communion wafer. wafer, yes. Yes, and they believed that a communion wafer is literally the embodiment of um Christ. Yes, transubstantiation. It is both literally right. and not literally simultaneously in some magic superposition of states. <laughs> but but Jesus had nails in him before anyway, so another one. <laughs> Doesn't matter. <laughs> well, this really has been an atheist um, episode tonight, hasn't it? We're all very, like, non-religious here. Yes, indeed. Anyway, so uh, what have we got coming up on the calendar? Of course, in Dunedin in November, we've got the conference, and you should go and sign up for the conference. It's going to be a fun, 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 interesting experience conference.skeptics.nz don't say fun too many times you if you stretch it like that it just sounds like it's not going to be fun i think one fun is enough three is too okay. many i'll, I'll edit two of the funds out <laughs> um, but before the conference um get your taster at umbrellas kitchen and bar in dunedin on thursday september 14th from 6 p.m because that will be their skeptics in the pub meetup awesome good. Oh, well, I was just going to say, we've had our Skeptics in the Pub tonight as we record this earlier on this evening. I went to Skeptics in the Pub in Auckland, but our next one will be the first Tuesday in October. And uh, let me look at my calendar. That will be on the 3rd of October oh. at the Dyson Fork. And then this week, um, we have our regular Skeptics in the Pub meeting in Wellington at the Intercontinental Hotel, inside the hotel, in the lobby in the lounge. Um, so that'll be Friday, September 8th at 6 p.m. Then the following. Um, no, skeptical activism next week will be cancelled, sadly. Oh. Um, but it will it will happen in three weeks time. So come along and make a complaint. Get a free beer. And you know what? Nationwide on the 15th at 6 p.m. is going to be skeptics in cyberspace. Uh, <sighs> cool. Yes. Um, if you want to sign up, sign up at meetup.com. Uh, we'll also put up a little event link on the day on Facebook. 
I really enjoy our cyberspace meetings. It's it's really fun to hang out with skeptics. I was going to say weirdos, but I should just stick with skeptics. Skeptics from around the country and seems beyond. Have, actually, we get people connecting from overseas sometimes as well. Seems to have come around again very soon. It doesn't seem that long since our last one, but sounds like you're looking for excuses to not turn up, Craig. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a fun time. Just chill out on Zoom with a beer, have a chat. It's great. Yeah. All right. You have been listening to the Year Ma podcast. Did I say Year Na or Year Ma? Year Na podcast. If you'd like to give us some feedback, you can email us to podcast at skeptics.nz and uh, we will see you all next time. Bye. See ya. Hello.